We discussed last week the idea of writing Gitin, or at least executing authorizations for Gitin, on behalf of soldiers who are heading off to war. We mentioned that this idea is recorded in the Talmud. The Talmud says, Anyone who would go off to the wars on behalf of the house of King David would write a get for his wife, a dispute on the Rishonim, a conditional get, or uh, an unconditional get. But this was something that was done in the time, of, in the time, according to the Talmud, it was done in the time of the thousands of years ago, in the time of David HaMelech. The Rambam explains that Melchemist based David doesn't mean exclusively David, it means the wars that were conducted by tzaddikim, by people who cared about halacha and wanted to make sure that their affairs would be, would be managed in accordance with halacha. So this was an, uh, an important step to issue Gitin uh, before going out to war. We said that there, that we, we pointed out that there wasn't much isn't much practical discussion of actually implementing this from that Talmudic passage on until about a hundred years ago. We have a we have a major tshuva in the Tzitzeliezer. That's what we studied last week of the different Malkiel from Malkiel Tenenbaum, great uh, the, the Gon of Lumja, who, uh, who who used to do this. He said it's an important thing to do. It was a time of war. He didn't specify which war he was talking about. He died in 1910. But the, tonight, one of the chubas we're going to see is going to mention that the war in question was the, was the war of Russia and Japan, the Russo-Japanese War. That was um, <coughs> meant, meant, to look up, meant to look up what year that was, but that was, again, around 120 years ago. The, the Russo-Japanese War, Russo-Japanese War took place between 1904 and 1905. So if that's, if that's the war we're talking about, that was just a few years before the Divin Malkiel died, about 120 years ago. It doesn't really matter for our purposes, but the Divin Malkiel was the great, uh, great codifier of this law. It wasn't even a, a real, she, real she, tshuva to a sheila. He said he wants to set forth the rules because it's a common situation and Rabbanim can't just, can't just wing this and improvise as they go. It's important to get it right. It's important to have the protocols established in advance of the... Of the of the situation that arises, so he gave detailed detailed guidance for how to do it, exact exact uh, exact forms and language to use, and that was the first of the really the first of any practical discussion of this in halacha, and certainly the first of the great of the important modern discussions of this in the halachic literature. We're going to study tonight several subsequent chuvas on this topic from the mid twentieth century, several decades later. We're first going to study a couple of tshuvas from the World War II era, and then one from the time of the Six-Day War. So one of the poskim who wrote most extensively on this topic, perhaps the, the most extensive of anyone I've seen, was Rav Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog. Rav Herzog was a great Talmud Chacham, a, a great leader of Kalal Yisrael, he had been the chief rabbi of Ireland, and at this time, on the eve of World War II, he was the chief rabbi, chief Ashkenazic rabbi of mandatory Palestine, the, the, the British mandate of Palestine. He, he wrote a number of tshuvas at the very beginning of World War II. The first of his, these tshuvas are printed in his Sefer, Heichal Yitzchak. So he was in Yushalayim at the time. The first of his tshuvas was written to Rav Chaim Moser Grudzanski. 
Chaim Moser Grudzinski was probably without question the, the Godladar of that time, the great Ashkenazi Posek in Vilna. Also, he was famous as, uh, as, as, as a genius, as a, as a halachic genius, but also he had tremendous wisdom and he, had tremendous, uh, he was a tremendous leader of men of Klal Yisrael. He was wise and patient and politically savvy. And uh, you, you, I always point out, if you read his letters, his less formal halachic letters, he knew how to get things done. He's, uh, he's, he's pragmatic. He, he knows what's achievable, what's not. He, knows he, he has a great sense of who he can persuade, who, who's, who, who's not going to budge, what, what, what's realistic. A very, very wise man, aside from being a halachic, a halachic gon, a halachic genius. So Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog, on the very, the very eve of World War II, his tshuva is dated Chaf Bey's Iyar, Tuf Reish That is the spring of 1939. The war starts in September 1939. This is just a couple of months, just a few months before the outbreak of World War II. As we'll see in the tshuva, he was quite, uh, I guess he didn't have to be uh, a prophet or a uh, fortune teller to know, what, to know which way that the winds of war were blowing. But he was anticipating World War II, and he was uh, unpleasantly on the nose about it. And he, wrote to, he wrote to Chaim Moser Grudzinski, the God Ladar, who lived in Vilna at the time, he wrote to him for advice, for, for guidance on how to implement Gitin for soldiers, Jewish soldiers who would be heading off to war. So again, the tshuva is dated Chaf Beis Iyar. It's addressed to Yedid Hashem, Yedid Nefesh Kal Beis Yisrael, Hagon Hamiti, Mar Hagola, Maranav Rabbana, Chaim Azergudzanski, Shlita. Fine. So it's actually very interesting. The, the first part of the tshuva is, it does not have to do with our question of Gitin. But it is, it, it is a fascinating discussion of, of politics and diplomacy. <coughs> he says, he says uh, I'm sure you received my letter in which I informed you of the discussions between me and Memshalah. This is not in the handout, but at the very beginning of the tshuva, between me and the, and the Irish government, he says, I want to inform you that I received the final answer as follows. Again, it's hard to know exactly what he was talking about without the previous context, but he says... The, the government arranged with its Nitzigaba Vatican, with its representative in the Vatican, that the, the cardinal, Hamazkir HaPrati Shela Pifiyar, that the cardinal, who is the private secretary of the Pope, Yikabelo Silarayon, will accept me, will, will, will give, me a, give me a meeting, give me an interview. And by meeting with the, the, the Pope's, the Pope's personal secretary, the cardinal personal secretary, hopefully I can then leverage that to get a, an interview with the Pope himself. Uh, presumably, what, 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 what the goal here was to intercede with the Pope, to get him to use his influence on behalf of the, of the Jews who would be likely to suffer, who, who were suffering in Germany, who were likely to suffer in the, under, the, under the, what was going on at that time. doesn't say what the exact issue was. So the, the proposal was, we, we, we can't guarantee you an appointment with the Pope, but you can get an appointment with his private secretary, and hopefully... Hopefully you can leverage that into an appointment with the Pope himself. Aniha Shafti of Herzog said, not good enough. Zelo Maspik, that is not worth my time. Eino Kedai Lamechas Nafshi Lasveka, that's not worth, it's not worth it, he says, to travel from Eretz Israel to Italy, Linsala Eitzkazosli Italia, Ala Suffolk, maybe I'll get an interview with the Pope. This cardinal is not what I want, I want the Pope. If you can't promise me the Pope, he says, uh, it's, my, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not worth traveling, he says. Dangerous to travel at that time, I guess. Falcane, Panisia, la Cardinal Hanalva, Michtava, Shabobi, Kashimen, Ushisada, Vikva, Bishvili, Mikodimus, Ryan, and Apifiyar. 
So I wrote, by letter, I wrote a letter to the Cardinal, the Secretary, to ask him to please arrange, please guarantee in advance, guarantee me that I will have an appointment with the Pope if I travel to Italy. Please inform me of this as early as possible. I'm waiting for an answer, he says. And when I get an answer, if I, if I get Ezra Hashem, if I get a positive answer that he can guarantee me an appointment with the Pope, then I will travel to Italy and uh, and hopefully I can influence the Pope on behalf of Claudius Yisrael, whatever he was trying to accomplish. And uh, I'll inform you, he says. He told that he told Rav Chaim Ozer, Odiela quote Godlo, Ulai telegraphit. I'll let you know, maybe by telegraph, he says. So Fadova Berkarov, how it turns out. I'm not sure how it turned out. We'll see. We'll see some of the we'll see the following tshuva. But this was just the beginning of his of his letter to Rav Chaim Oser, his uh, giving him the latest updates on his plans to get a meeting with the Pope. Now we get down to the halacha. This part's in the handout. Vata dvarlo kimli el Now I have the word of Hashem. The previous paragraph was politics and diplomacy. Now I have Torah to discuss with you. I have a question that is relevant to all of Klal Yisrael, he says. Hine, to sisas molchama haleches mitchazekes. The ferment of war, the, the, the agitation of war is increasing and getting stronger, Ba'olam, he says. The winds of war are getting stronger. Again, this is the spring of, uh, of 1939. It was getting quite close to war. Even though I still hope, he says, that HaKadosh Baruch Will save us from this uh, up from from this uh, revolution, from this uh, this terrible uh, di- disturbance to the to world affairs. Because if this happens, he says, not called a world war for nothing. He says this can destroy the whole world. It can certainly have uh, terrible consequences for Klal Yisrael. Klai Yisrael is in bad shape in general. They're beaten down and oppressed and crushed, he says. Certainly, Klai Yisrael is going to fare badly if there's a war. And that, of course, was a terrible understatement of what happened to Klai Yisrael during the war. He says, we can be from, we can hope that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will save us, but that doesn't absolve us of responsibility. We can hope for the best, but we have to plan for the worst. We have to make plans. What should we do as rabbis? What are we going to do if there's a war? etc. So this is an interesting point. Rav Herzog says, there is a klal in halacha, a person should not anticipate bad. A person should not express uh, bad possibilities. A person shouldn't dwell on and, and articulate bad possibilities. Lamaktim, a person shouldn't anticipate. Inish, a person, peranus, misfortune, disaster for himself. A person shouldn't uh, try to anticipate, it's a Talmudic rule, a person shouldn't anticipate problems. Because, he says, we have to be prudent, we have to be responsible. We have to anticipate, to the extent possible, the disaster that is uh, approaching, he says. We have to worry about agunos, we have to worry about women whose husbands will march off to war and disappear. The matter is relevant, he says, to the lives, the very lives of... Uh, of tens of thousands of Jewish, of Jewish women. Now, it's interesting that when, when I read this paragraph, uh, I, always think of, I, always, I always think along these lines. He says, although although there's a rule we don't anticipate misfortune, we do have to be prudent. This, this debate comes up when they discuss, in the modern discussion of prenuptial agreements, where some postkim in the YU world 
in the modern Orthodox world, some, many poskim, from great poskim down to uh, rank and file rabbanim, strongly feel that couples should sign prenuptial agreements uh, at the time of the marriage, before the marriage, that will discuss what happens if the marriage breaks down. Money, get, based in child custody, and so on. That, the, that, that, that they, they recommend that couples sign this agreements, this agree, these agreements because they can, they, can, they can make things run, go more smoothly instead of becoming uh, utter, utter chaos and utter misery down the line. Get is always misery, but uh, divorce is always mis- miserable, but by having a prenup, you can at least uh, avert even, even more chaos. And many other Abanim in the Haredi world, in Eretz Yisrael, do not like these proposals. So some of the arguments they have are technical, technical halachic, but some of the arguments are, they often, they often say, oh, this rule, we, we don't want to start a marriage by making all kinds of plans for disaster, for uh, things going wrong. We should start off more optimistically. Right? I, I, I never understood the argument that the Ksuva and other, other things they used to sign, we do have to plan for, for, for the worst. It's not responsible to just ignore the, the possibility of uh, misfortune. And that's Rav Herzog's point here as well. He says, yes, we can hope for that Hashem will avert war, and we can hope that, uh, that, that this doesn't come to pass, but that doesn't absolve us from responsibility of making whatever plans we can for things that will go south. And there is a real possibility that there will be war, and there's a real possibility, almost a certainty, that soldiers will disappear during the war, and will not, we won't have definitive, definitive uh, evidence of their demise. And the women will be at Gunas, and we have to plan for this now, he says. So he told, he told Rechaim Ozer, although it's not a pleasant thought to think of, and although we're still hoping and praying that this will not come to pass, we should make plans in advance, we should decide, we, we should figure out what we're going to do to try to forestall the problem of Aguna. Then he adds another paragraph, a, a really fascinating paragraph. He says, besides the, the simple humanitarian concern for the for the misery that these women will be in if they're, if they're stuck as Agunas, if we can't establish their husband's death. I have another political reason, he says, for why it's important to be proactive about this matter. He says, I also think we should give some thought to another perspective on this question. He says, You, Rav Chaim Ozer, a, a, a very politically savvy Gadol Batara, he says, You know, you understand, Godel Hatamula, the great propaganda, the great polemic, he says, that the, the, the forces of the left, he says, the, the liberals, the, the progressives, you know, he says, the great uh, propaganda campaign that they've been waging against orthodoxy, that we're unfair to women, that we're misogynist, and so on. So the people on the left, he says, and their followers, in Ma'at Vim Harbe, whether there are a few of them or many of them, there's clearly a faction that is gravely dissatisfied with the attitude of orthodoxy toward women. Some of these are present even in circles that seem religious. So he says, we know that there are, that there are people who are upset and people who are not satisfied with the way orthodoxy and its rabbis treat women. Va'ata, he says, if the worst does come to pass and World War II begins, and we then have this wholesale concern for Aguna, many women whose husbands are off at the wars, whose husbands will disappear, we can have wholesale Aguna problems. So if we don't find a solution to these problems to the extent that we can, 
that, uh, that this problem will be intensified, the problem that, uh, that, that, that this problem of the feminists charging that we don't care about women, that we're misogynists, will be intensified, he says, a thousand times, a thousandfold. We have to be concerned for the effect this will have on religion, on the, on the, on the state of religion, he says. And therefore, besides the fact that we care, the, the first concern is the women themselves. We have to do the, the, we do care about the women. We have to do the best we can to protect the interests of the women. But beyond that, he says, it's a concern for the health of the of the religion and the establishment as well. We have to we have to do, do we, have, we have to do good and do right at the same time. We have to do we have, we have to do right by the women. We have to do what's good for the for the reputation of orthodoxy. He says so. Let's do what we can to find a solution to these women whose husbands will, unfortunately, disappear during the war. So what's the solution? The solution is, of course, to give proactive gittin. Kol yotzim l'chemes beis david, get krisus kosev leishto. Says Rav Herzog, v'nei l'sadar get b'chal mikro mikro hu davar kashamot. To arrange an actual get in each case for every soldier who goes off to war is very difficult. Dibber Mikhail made this point also. He said, every, every soldier writes a get. A get takes time. A get, a get has to a get needs research into names. Writing a get is not an easy procedure. To have to, to, have to write uh, wholesale quantities of gittin is not so simple, he says. If we just give gittin, what about the kohanim? As we discussed last week, kohanim can't remarry once they give their wife the wife a get, even if she doesn't remarry in between. Once he gives her a get, he's finished. He can't remarry her. So what's he going to do when he comes back from the war? As we mentioned, there is such a thing as giving conditional gittin, but it's a very fraught and problematic process. We generally avoid it. Different Malkiel was willing to do gittin el when necessary, and that seems to be the attitude of the post in general. We'll do them when necessary, but it's not our first choice. If we have no other choice, we'll do a get el but we really don't want to do get el we'd really, We'd really rather have a better solution. Says Rav Herzog, Different Malkiel. That's where I throw the Dimlokiel first in this Chuva for Herzog. He says, Achagon Rimlokiel Zatzalmi Lamja. The great, the great Rimlokiel Tenenbaum, the Gon of Lamja, Besifro Dimlokiel, Chatar Limso Takana Bishas Behala. He looked for a solution. He had, as we discussed last week, he had numerous variations of his proposals. Behamachuvar Shabay Tosav Hatosav. The, 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 most, the, the most solid, the, 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 the most satisfactory of all his proposals and suggestions was Alderach Zut. Kinero was Alderach Zut. To do it as follows. This is what we covered last week. When the husband is heading off to war. When the husband heads off to war. So, Witnesses should sign a harsha, a, an, an authorizing document. That the, the authorization says as follows. He appoints anyone in his city. Because again, you, you might not find the, the person he appointed. If that person becomes incapacitated, he should he should maximize the authorization to authorize any individual in the city, or anyone in another city, a city that we know has people who are competent to write gitin, rabbanim who know who know who know about gitin, lichtov galishto, any two people who are found in that city, to sign the get, and any one of those people can be a shliach. To maximize the possibility that somebody can do it, the We're not going to actually make it tonight, right now, with initial authorization. But the shliach is authorized to make it tonight in his execution of the shlichus. 
Whenever he does head off to war, then at our convenience, then then we'll then we'll, we'll write again and sign it. The shliach will then give it to the woman al tonight because he was authorized to make it tonight. The tonight will be that after two years and so etc. Et that the that that after two years the woman will give the rav a pruta. I'm not sure why why we need the pruta. I didn't look up that part of the discussion, but uh, after two years she'll trigger the the get by making a symbolic uh, kind of token gift of a pruta to the rav. And he kablen baratzinatov. He'll accept the pruta with ploni and ploni. I guess we want to give the rav the power to either make the get valid or not by giving him the choice to either accept her pruta and trigger the get or not if he feels that she should be waiting. The husband might still come back to give the rav the choice to to kind of ratify the get. If the tnai is mekuyim, the get is retroactively retroactively takes effect. So that that's the solution. That's so. Rav Herzog thinks Minu Shliach appointing Shluchim to write, sign, and deliver the get is the best solution. That the Shliach can then give the get right away, and you don't have to worry about a Kohen because the get will be done al tnai. And if it, and, and if it turns out he comes back, then the then the get uh, is not a get. That lachar is Eitzatova. He says that the that this would this would be the solution. This lachar would be a good solution. The Rav, you're giving the Rav the power to trigger the activation of the get by accepting the, the contribution of a pruta, this would seem to be a great solution. However, says, the, says Rav Herzog, says Rav Herzog, there are two problems he has, two basic problems with this solution in the modern context. Da'aka, our problem is as follows. He says, there is a difference in the way wars are conducted today from the way they were conducted in the time of the different Malkiel. Wars in our day are, have changed, are conducted differently than the war in the time of the different Malkiel. Hainu, that's what we said before, the, the, the Russo-Japanese war. At that time, once a soldier was sent to the war, there were no furloughs, there were no terms, there, was, there, were, there were no tours of duty. You went to the front, you stayed there until you died or until the war was over. There was no coming home. Avil Biyamenu, he says, in our day, from some kind of reports of England and France from the Great War, from World War I, we still haven't escaped the, the aftermath of World War I, World War II was often considered a continuation of World War I, According to the reports, the dispatches he read from World War I, the government would furlough soldiers. It would give, it would give permission, he says, occasionally, it would give them furloughs to come home and then go back to the war. This change in the way, in, in the way soldiers serve their, serve their tours of duty has a major, major impact, causes a major trouble for our Gittin. Basically, we'll see more detail soon, but the, the, the different kill was assuming that once the soldier went off to war, he authorized the get, the get could be given conditionally, and then the get remains in force until he returns home or doesn't return home or, and, or dies. If a soldier returns home after he's given to get, he, after, he gives the, after the get was given, or after he authorized the get, and he goes back to his wife, and he's with her, he's intimate with her, 
that can cause all types of problems. That can cause all kinds of trouble for Erget. We're not going to get into all the ins and outs of the details. We'll just see overall the, the problems he raises. But this is the issue. Dr. Mokil does not consider this because in his time soldiers weren't coming home in the middle of the war. But says, says Rav Herzog, in our situation where the soldiers come home during the war, this creates major problems for the get given. Why? So he says, because, the, again, we're not going to get into all the details. Basically, there are two potential problems. One problem is that the fact that he came home and was with his wife might, might create a, a presumption that he was canceling the get, that he's mevatel the get, or the shlichus. Another concern is that if he's with his wife and she's already divorced, he's not allowed to be with her. Who said it? It's an Yichud, a man, an unmarried woman, if she's not his wife anymore. It's, uh, if she's a single woman, he, he can't be miyachin with her. Yichud is usher between a man and any woman who's usher to him as an erva midaraisa. He's even usher to a woman who's a pnuya. If, uh, if, he, if, if, if she's not his wife, even if she's not a nida, certainly if she is. So the, a, no, a normal husband is allowed to be with his wife even while she's nida because the, the laws of Yichud don't apply between a husband and a wife. <coughs> but if he gave her a get, then she's divorced. He's not allowed to be with her. He's not allowed to even be miyachin without touching her. He certainly can't uh, be intimate with her. Uh, that, 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 that could be a problem as well. But the... But the but to do this it might be it might be an issue, it might just be not appropriate, he says, and we have to be choshesh that that there's kedushin possibly that uh, that that if he comes back and he's with her, he he's remarrying her. So all these problems come up. Either he's mavatel the get, or that he's remarrying her, and that he's miyached with someone who's not his wife. All these situations which would not have arisen in the different Malkiel's time because the person was not coming home after he wrote the get until the war was done. All these problems arise today in cases where the husband is furloughed during the war. Furthermore, he says, Manasala Kohen. What if he's a Kohen? If he's a, if he's a Kohen, then certainly, if, 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 the get, if the get is a good get, in other words, the get says that if he doesn't make it back at the end of the war, the get is a get retroactively. So if he comes back halfway through the war, he doesn't yet know if he's going to survive the war or not. Maybe he'll die at the end of the war. And if so, the get was triggered retroactively. In which case, uh, he's now with the Grusha. That's early in Esther of Yichud. It's early in Esther. He can't touch her or have anything to do with her if she's divorced. So, so, so again, he goes through all these different questions. We're not going to get into These are very complicated discussions about when we're Choshesh for Bittal Aget, when we're not Choshesh Bittal Aget. We mentioned last week that the different Wakil said in order to avoid, uh, in order to avoid, in, in general, whenever we do a get, I just did this uh, a day or two ago, whenever we do a get, we always tell the husband, if the get is not being given right away, we tell the husband to declare that he's accepting upon himself under the penalty of Shvu and Cherem, he will not be mavatal the get or the shliach. He will not cancel and uh, withdraw his authorization for the get. But if he actually comes home and lives with the woman, then, then there's a real concern. Then maybe he's mavatal the get. Maybe he married her again if the get took effect already. And how is he allowed to be miyachin with her in the first place? So all these problems, all these problems were raised by Rav Herzog. He had all kinds, he, he, had, he had problems, he had solutions, he went back and forth. And at the end of the, at the end of the tshuva, at the end of this tshuva, Simon Lamed Hay, he tells Rav Chaim Ozer, he says, "Ulam But after I, I went through all these different possibilities, the, the I, I haven't really found any uh, any solid, reliable procedure. He said, even the different Wakil's procedure. He says, uh, we, it's not so simple. There, there, there are aspects that we can challenge. He says. 
So he asked Rechaim Ozer, Godlo, you're the Godlo Hadar, he says, please look into this matter. <coughs> please tell me your, your, your opinion of what we should do, how we should do this. And Hashem will help us avoid mistakes and, and accomplish wonderful things in His Torah and see wonderful things from His Torah. And he signs off, Ritzchak Levi Herzog signs off his letter to Rav, to Rav Chaim Moser. Okay. So this was the letter, he, he wrote this letter in ER in, in, tough, in, uh, in tough Reish Laman Tess, in Tough Reish Tadi Tess, in the, in, the, in the spring of 1939. The next, the next tshuva in Hechal Yitzchak, Hechal Yitzchak is a collection of Herzog's tshuvas and tshuvas to and from him. The next tshuva, Simon Lamed Vav, was written by Rav Chaim Ozer to Rav Herzog, a response. The response was, some, was months later. The, the response was dated Yom Dalid Gimel Kislev, the year Tafshin. So the year Tafshin was still, was, was still, it was Kislev, it was still, 1930, it, was still it was still 1939, the Hebrew year already is uh, the year Tafshin, because it was after Rosh Hashanah. But it was already, it was, it was, it was already, uh, you know, November, December or something. I didn't check the exact date in the, in the, in the Western calendar, but it was the very end of 1939. It was, it was after the war had already broken out. Rav Chaim Oser got back to Rav Herzog. Kvod Yididi, Haraf Agon, Mephorsim, Mataraso, Vyaraso, Kedemes, Lechachmaso, Rav Herzog. So again, the beginning of the tshuva is about other political and, uh, other political and war-related news. He says, I got your telegram from Tel Aviv regarding the yeshivas. Uh, I responded by telegram. And then, and then he gives whatever the issue was. And then uh, he, 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 gets, he, go, he gets into a little more discussion about the fate of the various yeshivas. Rav Chaim Moser was one of his famous, uh, most cherished uh, goals and, and endeavors in life was to, was to support and further the interest of the yeshivas and the study of Torah. He writes, in a po here in Vilna, his kansu kali yeshivas, miglilos hakresin, he says, we've had, the, the yeshivas have gathered in the big city, in Vilna, yeshivas mir, kamenetz, radin, baranovich, these are, the, these are the, the who's who of the famous yeshivas in, uh, in Europe, mir, kamenetz, radin, baranovich, klet, klomja, slonim, bialystok, pinsk, mezrich, vaod, all these yeshivas have gathered here in Vilna, he says, the yeshivas could not survive um, locally where they were, for spiritual and material reasons. I, I'm not familiar enough with the history, but if Chaim Ozer saying the yeshivas were in crisis, they, they couldn't last where they were, they had to all come to Vilna. When Vilna was annexed to Lita, he says, they were, they were all stuck in Vilna now. It's very difficult to keep the yeshivas going. All the, all, the, all the crises of war, all the turmoil and trouble of war, particularly, says, the collapse of the, 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 the collapse of the devaluation of the, of the currencies, he says. Polish something, he says. Anyway, you can use your imagination. I, I don't know the history well, but there were all kinds of financial and social crises that were affecting the yeshivas. He discusses in the next paragraph the yeshivas' plans. For, at the end of the two, he's going to get back to the get question, but, 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 but the, these, these, we certainly can't resist at least briefly reading these, these first paragraphs. The, he, he discusses what the yeshivas plan to do. He says, uh, yeshivas mir, 
Mir plans on making Aliyah. As it turns out, they, they, they eventually did make Aliyah. They, Mir in Eretz Yisrael today is, I think, the largest yeshiva in the world. But uh, they went through a period in Shanghai, but eventually Mir did uh, restart in Eretz Yisrael. V'chein yeshiva's kamenets, im haram agon atzadik rabaruch dober libowitz. That's the author of the Bilchat Birka Shmuel, the famous Rabaruch Ber. He says they planned on uh, they planned on going to Eretz Yisrael. Wrote some gamkein l'nzar l'Eretz Hakodesh. Avakish Baze, he says. Rav Chaim Ozer asks Rav Herzog. He requests of him. He says lahodieni and bevshar l'shtad lavora pleitim bnei yeshiva shalmir v'kamenetz. Can you do anything? Can you intervene on behalf of the, the refugees who are coming from Mir and Kamenetz? Can you get them entry, uh, entry visas, he says, into Eretz Yisrael? The great work that I have, he says, is just to keep the yeshivas going, the Rabbanim, the Gedolei Torah, to just keep uh, all the displaced uh, people surviving during the war. That, that's my great work, he says, trying to just keep the yeshivas going. With great difficulty, we have uh, managed until now, he says, Our great hope is, to, uh, is for hope from across the sea. I'm not, I'm not sure if he means the United States, but probably, but uh, we're hoping for some kind of help, he says. Again, you know, the, the Gedolim today would probably spend the whole tshuva talking about uh, tefillah and, uh, and, and Hashem, everything is up to Hashem, which Rechaim Mother certainly believed. But in his letters, Rav Chaim Ozer was often a very pragmatic and uh, a very pragmatic and down-to-earth individual. He didn't spend a lot of time often on pious words. He spent a lot of time on practically what can be done and, and, and realistically what are we hoping for. So this is what uh, the, 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 these were his comments on the yeshivas. Merosh Novohadras The war that began in the in the summer. He says, fine. Now back to our topic of the Gittin, He says, Alzvar Hagitin. Regarding the Gitten, your, your, your tshuva to me, your discussions with me about what to do for Gitten, for soldiers heading off to war. Your analysis is basically correct, he says. Not sure, again, what aspect of his analysis, but your analysis is basically correct, he says, in my opinion. What did we decide to do here in Vilna, he says, I and my rabbinic colleagues, we decided, Lesader Gitten Altnai. We do Gitten Altnai. We give the Gitten, we give the Gitten Altnai, as the different Rokhils had suggested. As had been done previously. <coughs> what, what about that concern? If the husband returns, that can cause problems for the get? You do a new get, he says. Any husband who is furloughed, the policy is, if he comes home during the war, you set up a new get. The old get might not be valid anymore once he returned home. We do a new get. We'll, we'll do as many as we have to. We'll, we'll do a new get. He doesn't address the Yichud questions or the, those questions, but okay. In terms of the kashras of the get, we do a get when he leaves. If he returns, we do a new get before he leaves again. Avletzleinu, then he adds a somewhat curious, uh, somewhat uh, obscure comment. He says, The government would not allow us to publicize this. I guess, as we touched on last week, it's a question of maybe morale. Maybe they felt the Rabbanim who were writing Gittin was somehow was bad for the morale of the soldiers, I'm not sure. But he says the government did not allow us to, uh, to discuss this openly, to publicize this. Bechalzeh, he says, again, very cryptically, we did find some way of getting past the government censorship. We did find some way of uh, some, some means of publicizing our program, he says. 
but it didn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't practiced that that uh, that widely. He says, "Avol nimnu rakichidim." Only uh, relatively few soldiers took advantage of this and actually came to do these gittim. So both Rav Chaim Ozer and Rav Herzog agreed that we should do gittim. They they debated the details. Rav Herzog had his own solution. Rav Chaim Ozer said, "We just do gittim al tnai." And they both agreed we should do it, and apparently at least some were done. We have other testimonies of World War II that Gittin were done for soldiers, commonly. But anyway, Rav Chaim Moser basically agreed with his analysis, and he said, here in Vilna, this is what we do. We do the Gittin al and if he returns, where the get potentially is, uh, is uh, it might, might, its validity might be, might be problematic, we just do a new get before he heads out again. If someone wants to do it right, that's what we do. We do a new get if he heads out again back to the war. Rav Herzog has several other letters, which we're not going to go through tonight, also written around the same time. The next simon, Simon Laman Zion, is just a, a detailed explanation of uh, detailed explanation of of the of the Gitim Lachama. He starts by talking about the Divmalkiel's Eitza in the Russo-Japanese War of Tafre Shamakdal of nineteen oh four. He discusses that, he discusses the details and his own plans in the next Juva in Laman Ches. He, next to was written to his rabbinic colleague, Rabbin Zion Meir Chayuziel, who was the Sephardic chief rabbi of mandatory Palestine at the time. He has a discussion with, uh, with, with Rabbi Ziel about what to do. And then in Simon Lamentes, he has, he has another discussion with Rabbi Yaakov Klemis, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He was a prominent Rav in Moscow who had emigrated to Eretz Israel and was now one of the leading rabbinim in Eretz Israel. Rav Herzog discusses it with him in Simon Lamentes. And finally, in Simon Mem, he prints the he prints the, the actual harsha his, his actual conclusion what you should do of how of of, of, of the I'm sorry, I'm sorry in in in, in, Simon, in Simon Mem he in Simon Mem he has he has uh, further analysis of the of what to do for the of, of, of how to do it and finally in Simon Mamalaf the Malaf is a very short Simon it's just one page the Malaf he gives you an actual form it's a, just a couple of a couple a few paragraphs a form of, of what to do. Of uh, of uh, what to do for uh, how to write how, how, how to write the get. This one actually was not written during World War II. It seems this one he says is the we, we are publicizing. He says Yisrael. This one was written for soldiers in the IDF. It begins I the undersigned Ben Lemishpachas blank may uh, something something blank. Chayal b'tzvahos Yisrael, etc. Then my, my number, he says. You know, so he says uh, this was a form he wrote that was meant to be used by soldiers in the Israeli army. Okay, so we started with the different Malkiel. We saw the tshuvas of Rav Herzog and Rav Chaim Moser, World War II era tshuvas, and Rav Herzog apparently persisted this into the IDF that soldiers going off to war should write these gittin, or at least authorize these gittin, in order to avoid problems of aguna on a, on, on, at, at a later time. One last tshuva we'll read tonight, and that is a tshuva, this one, this one is, uh, is a couple of decades later. This one was written by the pair of tshuvas by the Tzitz Eliezer, Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg. The, 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 his description of the case is self-explanatory. He writes, Uvdahava B'tzeir, Talmud Chacham, a young man, a Talmud Chacham, Echad, Shabalafonenu, B'tkufu, Shlopnei, Melchemah, Shisha, Sayyam. A young man, a soldier, came before us in the, in the period shortly before the Six-Day War. Ubikesh Meitanu, 
This young Talmud Chacham, he requested us, the Beistin, this, this young man, he planned someday in the near future, he would be embarking on a secret mission, a pula sodit, an enemy territory. Sounds very glamorous and dramatic, also very dangerous. Whatever he was doing, he was going to be going on a mission behind enemy lines, where obviously there was great danger to, his, to himself. He doesn't even know what day this mission will begin. He wants to keep the halacha of He wants to do this get. He wants to, he wants to execute a get before he heads off on this mission. The, the war hadn't actually started yet, but he was going on some dangerous uh, clandestine mission and he wanted to, to prepare a get beforehand. He explicitly declared he doesn't know exactly when he's leaving. He wants to take care of this in advance, not leave it for the last minute. But he also wants to go home and be with his wife until it was time to embark on the mission. So, he's going to go back to his wife. He'll be with her. He doesn't even want to tell them he's writing this get. He doesn't want to worry them. He doesn't want them to even know he's doing this. It's a secret. He doesn't want to cause them stress and tension. He wants to take care of this right away, not leave it for the last minute. He doesn't know if he'll have time, but when he's called up to, to make it to Basin. So he wants to settle this matter while he still has time. Write this, he wants to authorize or write this get somehow, and then go back and live with his wife. So the obvious problems are the ones raised by the by the writer of Herzog, that these aces of authorizing a writing gittin may be problematic if the person goes home to his wife. So that was the question, can, can we do this? What should we do? Says Rav Waldenberg, Sidarnu Kedas Moshe V'Yisrael. We did indeed arrange the get, Kedas Moshe V'Yisrael. Umina B'fanenu as Ploni ben Ploni, a sofer. He appointed so-and-so the sofer to write the get. He appointed Ploni ben Ploni people as the Edom to sign the get. And he appointed Ploni ben Ploni to be the shliach to deliver the get. And he said that all this should take place at the, after the passage of one year from when he leaves for his mission into enemy territory, and he does not return, then one year later, and, and, no, and there's no information about uh, no information as to his still being alive, a year later, then this get should be executed. The chasam b'faneinu, again, we explained last week, if he's dead, he can't give a get. The get he, even his agent can't give a get on his behalf once he's dead. But Manavshach, if he's dead, then his wife can remarry because he's dead. And if he's alive, and, and he's being held in, uh, in a prison somewhere, then, then the get will, uh, will take effect. So he, he signed a document authorizing this get. And then the Siciliazer goes into uh, goes into great detail explaining explaining the issues about, about how to do it and to, about going through the issues about whether whether there's any problem due to the fact that he's he's going to be with his wife after he authorized the get. He explains again we're not getting into those problems, but he explains that that, that that's not a problem. He says. At the very end of the tshuva, he ends on a ends on a on a positive note. He says, we, we prepared the authorization, but we never had to put the get into effect because he survived and he returned home. The husband survived and came back to his wife, and they spent many uh, they spent many years together. So, as a matter of fact, we we prepared the, the authorization. We were ready to execute it if necessary. But it turned out we did not need it. This he wrote in 
He publishes in Sicily Ezer in volume 11. In volume 15, he returns to this question. He says that this question arises in our time often, many times, when soldiers go off to war. And I, since in that tshuva, I just went through, I analyzed the issue, but I didn't give the formal language of the harsha. I didn't give the, the text of the forms that we use. He says many, many rabbanim involved in, the, in these affairs. He says, request them. They, 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 need to, they need to know how we should do it. What are the best practices for doing this, he says. Therefore, for the, for the public good, he says, I am going to reproduce the forms we used. What I explained to you there should be easily understood to see not just the halachic pilpul, but to see the actual form and how we do it. I am going to reproduce the, the harsha, the authorization document in, in full that I used back then. And back then I put a lot of work into it, he says. So I compared and uh, selected from various uh, different texts. After, after deep analysis of the halachic issues, I came to a conclusion. So here is the text I use, he says, and he's providing it for other Rabbanim to use. So th- these are the chuvas I wanted to see. J- just before we, before we finally leave this topic for now, I just want to briefly outline some of the history, just conclude with a little bit more of the history. So again, the Talmud says they did this in Davon Melech's time. We don't have much in the way of evidence of this being used for the next few thousand years. Until the different Malkiel seems to say that this was commonly done in his time, 120 years ago, Russo-Japanese War. In World War II, we have a number of a number of poskim, Rav Herzog, Rav Chaim Ozer, Rav, Rav, Shlomo, Rav, Rav Shlomo David Kahana, a prominent Rav in Warsaw at the time, and, and Yushalayim after the war, says that these Gitin were done commonly in, uh, in World War II. There, there's a fair amount of evidence that this was done in, uh, in World War II for Jewish soldiers fighting in World War II. Now, the IDF, Sahal, in its early years, apparently under Rav Herzog, there, 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 there were periods in where these Gitin were done, in which Gitin were somewhat commonly done for soldiers who would be going off to war. Rav Shlomo Gorin, when he was chief rabbi of Sahal, was strongly opposed to this. He had certain halakhic objections, and furthermore, he felt that it would be terrible for morale to tell soldiers, you might not make it through the war, so please divorce your wife so she can marry somebody else. He thought that was very bad for morale, and he, did, and he opposed the use of such gizit. So again, we mentioned last time Rav Asher Weiss in the current uh, day, I think, I think speaking of the day after the Simchas Torah massacre, or, or shortly afterward, discussed the question of whether we should do these gizit. And in, in one of his talks on the topic, Rav Asher said that it's... Uh, the military commanders are against it because it's bad for morale. However, other contemporary Rabbanim do not agree with Rav Gurren and Rav Weiss. They say they don't see why it's bad for morale. Rav Yaakov Ariel and Rav, and Rav, and Rav Yaakov Epstein, author of the Chevel Nachalaso, prominent Atilumi Rabbanim, have both, the, so Rav, both say we should do this. They weren't writing about Gaza specifically, but they both thought this was a good idea. And Rav Ariel says he doesn't understand Rabbi Gurren's concern with military morale. He says... We ask soldiers to make other provisions in case they die. We, we ask them to make financial arrangements about payments and stipends to be paid out to their next of kin, their family if they die. We ask them to give fingerprints, he says, and everyone knows why they're leaving us fingerprints. It's, a, it's, it's in case they die. We want to identify them, he says. So we do what we have to do. We don't worry about morale, he says. Why, Dafka, when you worry about Gitzin, is, is this such an issue? So, contempor- so contemporary Rabbanim are split on the morale question. Rabbi Yuval Sherlau says, you know, that writing after Gaza says, you know, the primary question is what's the best thing for the war effort? That should be our paramount concern. 
So the question is, are these gitzin going to promote morale or harm morale? He says, you know, th- th- this is not a question a single Rav should answer. It should be discussed by a group of all the Rabbanim. But he says, in his opinion, he thinks that on balance, he thinks we should do this. So Rabbanim disagree, the, the Datilumi Rabbanim disagree on the question of whether it's really bad for morale or not. But, uh, but in terms of the halachic question that we've been studying, so again, the, 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 even though Rav Herzog said that there are, there are issues, and all the, all the post have acknowledged that, that, that none of these solutions are entirely uh, smooth and without, uh, completely without issue, but the fact is that in the last 100 years or so, 100, 120 years, we do have a tradition of these gitten being done. Dibber Malkiel uh, said, did them in the Russo-Japanese War and, and even provided information for other Abanim to use. Rav Herzog and Rav Chaim Ozer were in favor of doing them during World War II. Rav, Herzog, Rav Chaim Ozer says, we did them, we, we offered them, although they weren't widely used. Rav Shlomo David Kahana says that they, that they were often done and uh, commonly done. I think he implies that it was a pretty standard in World War II to do it. And Sicily Ezer did it in, uh, Yom, before the Yom Kippur War and then said that other Rabbanim need to know how to do it, so he's offering uh, guidance for them, the standardized forms for them. And the IDF did it in its earlier years. Later, apparently, the under of Gurren, and subsequently the IDF does not do it. Rav Yaakov Ariel says that he discussed it with the, 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 the previous chief rabbis in the military, Rabbi Ransky and uh, another, uh, another, um, another, another one of the Israeli chief, chief rabbis of Tzahal, he, he argued they should do it, but he wasn't listened to, and the, the, the policy now apparently is that they do not generally do this. Sahal does not f- facilitate or generally uh, promote this, uh, this procedure, although I'm sure any individual soldier who wants to do such a get probably can find Rabbanim to do it for him. But again, as we've seen, this is, this is an old solution, going back to the wars of David HaMelech. It, uh, it kind of was dormant until about 120 years ago, but from the different Malkiel's time in 1904 or so down to the present day, this has been the subject of, uh, of, uh, of intermittent discussion with Rabbanim coming down on both sides of the issue. Although, again, as we've seen, most Rabbanim seem to have been, mo- most of the Rabbanim I've seen seem to have been in favor of at least some type of procedure with, uh, with, with some exceptions.